Hello and thank you for joining me on today's podcast where we will be discussing the future of extended reality within education. For those of you who don't know what XR or extended reality means, in simple terms it's classified as an umbrella term for virtual, augmented and mixed reality as well as any future realities that might still be developed. So, our conversations today will cover developments within education, responsible use and of course, a perhaps not so far-fetched idea to solve a few issues, especially with regards to data privacy, set in the future when using XR devices. Today, I'm joined by my colleague and co-host Thomas Jin, a VR filmmaker at the Center for Innovation at Leiden University, guests Sander Feinhoff, a Dutch creative technologist and teacher at Gerrit Rietveld Art Academy, and Mitchell Bosch, a media technology student at Leiden University. Thank you all for being here and welcome to the podcast, The Future of Extended Reality Within Education. I look forward to our different views in this discussion, but before we begin, I would love it if you could please shortly introduce yourselves. So shall we start with my co-host, Thomas? Yes, hello. My name is Thomas Ginn. I've been working at the Center for Innovation for about five years now. I have a background in media, film, uh, podcasting, and also uh, VR more specifically 360 video, but uh, interactive VR as well. Yes, hello, I'm uh, Sander Feinhoff. I'm an uh, independent um, augmented reality uh, explorer. Let's, uh, let's call it that, that's what I do. Um, since 2010, I've been fascinated by uh, AR and um, my way of finding out what, what role this will play in our, our life now and in the future is by making things. And currently I um, teach about augmented reality at the Rietveld Art Academy. And my name is Mitchell. I'm a, a MediaTek student at the Leiden University. I uh, have an interest in like visual culture, photography, uh, film and AR. And I've been working at uh, the XRERA project for a little bit now. So my first question or set of questions to you all is, how do you think XR will develop in the next 10 years? Sander, I'd like it if you could start with this one. Yeah, well, then, then I will start with, with the part that I, I, um, I'm experienced with, which is augmented reality. Uh, I think VR at this moment is already quite amazing. Um, I mean, technology-wise, the things that can be done there are great, but, but AR still has its problems. Um, using AR on a phone, I mean, you can do that for a day, but then, yeah, uh, it's not something you use the whole day. But the good news is that finally these long-awaited augmented reality glasses are almost ready. Uh, all the big tech companies are working on them. They have seen Google Glass fail, so they, they know what not to do. And for some people, this, this is something they worry about, wearing AR glasses. But, uh, but I think if we do it well, it can be um, a great new device because we can finally experience AR the way it's meant to be. So there can be projections life-size in front of us. Uh, and I, I think that that is what, what we will see developing during the, the next 10 years. But um, beside this hardware developments, this is really going to play a big role in our normal life because everybody will see the, the world in a different way all the time. Uh, and who defines what you see? And what is your own role in defining um, that? So those are the, the things that, that interest me even more than the, let's say the pixels or the field of view things. Um, and that, that's what I'm, I'm exploring already. 
And do you think that both the glasses and the smartphones will merge in the next 10 years? Or do you think they'll, they have both their, their places in the world that they're seeing? Yeah, I think you will always keep both devices. Um, they, they are great together. Um, you do not always want to, to talk to a device you're wearing. You don't want to um, move your arms around if you're pointing at things. So you will be having your, your, your small smartphone device, maybe as an interface, as a pair of buttons or even a cursor to control things around you. So these devices are going to communicate together. And sometimes you don't even need the glasses for something. Um, you just want a, a proper screen right in front of your, your hand palm. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, the smartphone notifications that now buzz in your pocket that might move to your, um, like, like to your heads up display. Uh, and, and new things can, can be done when you have a different display. On a tiny little screen, there's just yeah, so much you can do, but on a bigger screen, you, you can do more. The, the augmented world is, is, is going to give us a, a whole lot of uh, new, new apps to explore. Yeah, yeah. And Mitchell, what is uh, your view on uh, how, you th how you think XR will develop? No, I think I I I do agree uh, with with most of the things that Sander is saying here. Like that uh, VR, it's it's moving a little bit uh, into its glory days now. You need it's it's a uh, like if you look at VR gaming for for example, that's already quite a a big field right now. And VR entertainment in the sense of like movie uh, festivals offering a whole VR section on 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 entertainment experiences and and that sort of thing that's already quite established you you could say almost and also at home it's a very useful and accessible thing and i feel like i do agree with with sander that that ar is not really in that phase yet it doesn't feel like something that is super accessible for uh, someone like me i i would say like and uh, although for educational institutions for example it's it's also still i would say like questionable because it, it hasn't really proven its worth yet in the educational context. So you could see this as maybe an experimental phase where it has to sort of show its its worth also in, it, in its edu educational context. There's like endless possibilities if, if, if it really becomes like a, an, an autonomous sort of wearable. I could see like an Apple Watch having a QR code on it and it's functioning for like a hand tracking device. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of things to, to talk about, I think. Yeah. yeah. Thomas, your views. I am um, a bit more techno-critical. Now, let's say that technology will be great, I think, <laughs> because that's something that will progress as these companies keep on developing it. And that's something we see with VR already and actually with AR already as well. But um, I'm a little bit more wary of the future because uh, which companies are currently working on these devices well those are also the big devices that currently sorry the big companies that currently dominate the internet and are subject of multiple controversies and it uh, it worries me a little bit because back when the internet started it was much more of a free zone and uh, it looked like no one really knew where it was going a lot was possible some good things some bad things of course and in this case, having seen the technology develop over the past decade, uh, both technologies, they seem to be much firmer in the grasp of these big tech companies. And they have very specific ideas about what the technology should do and what it should mean for the world. 
again, I think the, the technology will be great. And if we manage to bypass or solve this massive problem of monopolizing uh, this early stage of AR and VR, then I think we can look forward to having them further integrated in our life, just as uh, Sander and Mitchell were already uh, talking about. I do think that VR, because you mentioned, Mitchell, that they are in their glory days, entering the glory days. I think for me, at least for a lot of the people that I work with, uh, VR is in the you know the the valley of deception if you look at the you know the the hype cycle it's past the hype but it's not yet at the point where it's integrated into everyday life you know and uh, ar is a little bit further back it's still being hyped as the solution for everything and i think uh it it will need a bit more of a push to really become integrated. So uh, if you look at businesses and education and free time, these are still very much niche products and we are technology enthusiasts. So we have those products sitting on our desks because we like them, but my mom doesn't have them. And actually I think the majority of people that I know don't uh, have them. So we are definitely not even close to a full integration. And I think in, let's say, the next 10 years, that would be the make or break moment for VR to become a mainstream uh, technology. And for AR, I think uh, maybe a little bit further off into the future, but perhaps, you you know, it depends a little bit on how affordable and accessible the technology is. So Thomas, you've mentioned like a couple of limitations that you're obviously struggling with to (laughs) envision the 10 years from now scenario of XR. If there was any development that you would like to speed up what do you think is something that you would like to push for? Uh, open source hardware and software. There are a couple of companies out there that I trust and I, I recognize that they have a role to play in uh, the development of AR and VR, a very important role. Uh, the reason, you, you know, you know Sander, you could say that Google Glass failed, but the, I think that's a matter of perspective. Maybe it was a big success because they managed to really you know ram a new technology down the throat of society and just see what would happen and i think that was very much their idea in the back of their mind and breaking it you know breaking it to the public like that you get these discussions about how do we want what do we want the world to look like how are these technologies integrated in society are we ready for them yet are we mature enough as a user i think it, it wasn't a failure, it was a success, but just measured along different uh, different outcomes. I am always a big champion of open source. Uh, I love, uh, for instance, Firefox, the browser, and I love Linux, uh, the operating system. And I'm really hoping that we can get a stable and very robust architecture for open source, at least software, preferably also hardware, because um, then we can get it out of the grips of the big tech conglomerate. And I'm not a conspiracy thinker here. I'm just <laughs> thinking, you know, who has a stake in this game? And yeah. I think we forget that the users also have a stake in their game and we might be lagging a little bit behind those fast moving companies. Yeah, and I think it's not the only place where open sourceness is, is a topic. And I think that's a, a trend you just also see back in, in this uh, field, of course, I think. And Sanders, the same question to you. Um, if there was any development that you would like to speed up specifically to AR now, is there something that you can uh, think of? 
Yeah, well, I, I agree with Thomas that that um, yeah, an, an open source direction is important, and and I think you you sort of ended with an optimistic note, saying, okay, um, let let's let's just try to fix this in a way that we want it, and then it will be fine. And the good thing is this hasn't started yet. Um, what you saw with the internet, there's now this debate about how to to sort of win back the internet, but we don't have to uh, get there with AR. We can do it right from the beginning on. So yes, open source is important, uh, but I would go one step further. I think it's 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 um, perhaps it's time to have the uh, the AR glasses jailbreaking club. I mean, we don't want the uh, tech devices to be the owners of of these big tech companies. No, we just grab their hardware because that's what they put their uh, investment money in. Um, that that's not going to um, be easy to make that with an open source do-it-yourself package but we grab those hardware devices and and run our own software um, but yeah if, if if you think about things that need to be speed up um, maybe we we should even slow down um, i mean we we are we are not there yet so there can be this amazing world there but all the things that are halfway are not really appreciated by people so that's making it very hard to to make AR experiences because people always have something that they don't like. It's like, oh yeah, it's not perfect, it's not working well, and even with AR, oh, with VR, I expect so much and it's not there. So if we 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 like relax a little bit about what we expect from these these things, we have this opportunity to develop the things that are, um, yeah, open source, less less shiny, less spectacular, and I think that is important to. Also give the developer community a chance to um, to explore it instead of looking at Hollywood for the big productions. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's actually, yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that because um, Hollywood indeed plays a big role. Uh, it makes us enthusiastic, but it does overpromise, of course. You know, we all want that minority report style interaction. And, uh, you know, we want to look like Tom Cruise being all cool with these <laughs> screens. Uh, or, or you know, Matrix-style virtual reality. I and, and I don't want to come off as a boring guy who just says, well, you know, the big tech, tech companies are ruining everything for us. Uh, I would love to see 10 years from now that, you know, uh, all the students at the university, for instance, have access to a, an XR device that we can use for teaching because I think it can be a very important technology in, in the classroom or at home, depends on... Uh, how you develop it. I also would love to be able to go into the matrix. I mean, I am a 90s kid uh, and also uh, existence where you plug it into your back. Uh, you know, that stuff is just cool. So, yeah, I mean, I am a nerd in that sense. And I would love to be able to, you know, get fully immersed to the point where I forget that I'm actually, I don't know, sitting in a chair or walking around in a space. That would be really cool. So there's also that side of me, you know, the little kid that's just excited about all the new toys that are coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great that you said that, Thomas, because uh, this kind of ties up into this next question, which is how is XR used in the way you teach, learn or research? Um, and now you kind of have to use a little bit of imagination as well. Uh, maybe, Mitchell, have you experienced anything um, with XR in a teaching format? Well, like I said, I uh, like I said earlier, I've been uh, trying to get into like doing my own master thesis in this in this respect, and I have been very enthusiastic about I think quite a popular topic in in uh, XR and research, which is 
like the be another lab kind of approach the whole can can uh, xr or vr or ar instill like empathy and can that help and like develop some kind of uh, cultural um goal or or uh, benefit i guess but i have not really except for uh, like i said except for trying my my own hand in in unity and like trying to develop my own little experiments in this i have not really except for secondhand experiences which i read on the internet um i've not really experienced um xr in my own uh, course in my own masters for example no but you see potential obviously right obviously yeah like i like i said before i i do see a, a huge potential in in like being able to, to to take education a step further it might make it more feasible to transform the classroom into which is into something that is more interesting to be in through ar so being able to go places where you are not really able to go before like the space for example i don't know teaching about the body and uh, kind of also the, the things that you see in, in, in VR right now, in VR education. But um, I don't know, being there with with multiple people is, not is of course, a thing that you can do in AR. Like you can see the people next to you, but also the, the thing that you're looking at together and interact with together and learn about it together. And that would be something really cool to, to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sandro, um, how, how are you using AR in the way you teach? Yeah, well, for me, it's easy because I'm, I'm teaching the subject of AR and um, especially during this, this Corona lockdown time, it was great because um, I, uh, yeah, we, we started with our classes online and everybody was using uh, this face filter uh, effects to just create AR works, not as necessarily uh, on your face. I also had assignments where I said, okay, I don't want to see any face at all. So we had this, this weird, you had a collage of, of people in the Zoom session, all kinds of shapes, and it was like one big artistic artwork. So then it's easy to, to use AR um, in a teaching environment. But of course, um, when you're not teaching art, it's a different story. Um, and then what Mitchell said, yeah, you, you have tried your own little experiments. Uh, yeah, it's not that easy to make something um, with AR and to, to, to make it work and to let people use it, to make it uh, so that they understand it. And if you're teaching, you're usually not teaching just one workshop or one single session. I mean, you can bring people to the moon. That's the classic example. Uh, they've seen the, the moon in VR and okay, that's great. But what are you going to do next week and the week after and the week after? So you're not going to be the developer developing all these lessons by yourself. There should be like this, this, this big amount of things to choose from and that you can order and say, okay, this week we're going to do this one, then next week bring your AR device, next week bring your VR device. So there just needs to be a lot more insight in what is available, but that, that will grow. Um, I do see potential there, but it's not easy to yeah uh, get it up and running. And also there, the, the expectancies are very high. Uh, if you want to do that in a classroom, the teacher has the feeling that you, of course, have to, to know what, what's happening. But with this technology, it's, it's, it's not yet 100% perfect. Um, so it's, it's often uh, sort of ignored or not used during class, which is a pity because it, it can be an important uh, and, and useful thing to, to use. But we should also dare say, okay, let's just give it a try and, uh, and see where it goes. And share, I mean, share experiences and, and make like compact procedures on, on how to use this during a lesson and share it with others. That that would be great and, and tell what, what, what it can be used for instead of going to the moon. What, what else can you do with it? Yeah, so what's interesting is obviously you need to have the skills in order to create an AR experience. Can I call it an AR experience? Um, but 
if you want students to be involved in that as well, they would have to have exactly the same skills, right? Do you think that that is an additional course that some high schools or universities should consider in order for this technology to advance at a faster pace, perhaps, or maybe just the understanding of it? Yeah, well, Thomas mentioned that, yes, AR has to prove itself, but that is that is true for the AR that is created just for the sake of, of learning something. But what I, I expect is that many jobs, many activities, even our life is going to change when you're wearing a device in the future that is registering what's happening around you. It's sending all the data and it's enhancing the data to the cloud. It's helping you with advice and things. So even the way we work in 10 years from now is going to be different. We are going to be using these uh, devices to support our, let's say, our intelligence, our insight to help us to, to notify us what is wrong. So I think automatically that will be the way you're going to, to learn about this. So it's not then going to be a matter of making something completely new. It's just like bringing in the, like, the way you work and then learning how that works. And then it's important to, to know, to be prepared for this, this, this future that is ahead of us. So uh, therefore, it's also good to start practicing and, and, and know how these devices work. But I, I do, even at the Rietveld, I, no, I, I noticed that a lot of people are indeed not willing to be yeah, going all the way with this digital technology because of all the worries they have and all the... Um, yeah, the fact that it's not real, and I mean it, and it's it's quite frightening. The fact that this this is going to have such a big impact on your life, maybe if I um, if I tell that story in the first lesson, then nobody is doing anything for months. So this this year I I did that lesson at the end. So first we did all these nice Snapchat filter effects, fun and great. In the end, I started talking about okay, but what if this is your daily life? Is this what's happening in front of your eyes all the time? And then the worries. Are there which is very understandable yeah yeah well i mean i'm thinking about mobile phones when they came out obviously i was young so i was kind of hey cool this is a cool device i don't have a problem with it at all but i'm wondering if it had as much protest as it has with any xr device well there's a great well first of all there's always resistance to anything new uh, but there was a great, there's a great video. You can find it on YouTube. It's Dutch, uh, in Dutch, unfortunately, but there they interview people about whether or not they will buy a, a mobile phone. I think it's 1997 oh, yes. or something. And everyone <laughs> just says, no, why would I need that? Oh, it would be a nightmare. People could call me everywhere. No, I have an answering machine. So, you know, <laughs> whenever they call me at home, I'll listen to it later. So people really didn't see the urgency or the necessity. And you could argue that, I mean, it's still not really there, but now we got used to the idea of being connected everywhere we go. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, there was definitely a sort of a backlash to that. And then we see the same thing happening when mobile internet really became a thing. And then everyone was always, you know, looking at their mobile phone, uh, reading news or, you know, whatever, going to whatever websites you go. And, and then we complain about how no one's really paying attention to anything anymore. So I'm sure that when we get ubiquitous AR devices or, well, let's say probably the younger generation starts to wear them and then older people will probably complain about the myriad of things that is wrong with that because that's, I think, how these cycles uh, go, unfortunately. 
Uh, I do agree with you, Sander, by the way, when you say that uh, we have to start exploring this technology now and see what it's uh, capable of, because you cannot uh, form a good picture of the future and the possibilities until you really start to experience what the technology can do. And if you marry two ideas such as, like you said, Instagram filters and AR goggles with each other, then you start to see how the future might be, well, viewed really, because if you are working around with a permanent goggle, you know, AR goggles on your head, uh, then perhaps, I don't know, every wall can become uh, an advertising screen, for instance. And or not just that, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, or whatever, you know, you can, you can, yeah. maybe you have an emotional reader because it pulls in all the data that everyone is posting to all the social media. And I, I recognize Sander on the street and then I see all the stuff that he posted and it will aggregate all that data and say, oh, well, Sander is not feeling really good today. So maybe we should avoid him because he's grumpy or something like that. <laughs> you know, those are all kinds of different visions of the future and it will probably not go that fast as we are, you know, th th we have that fear that it will be tomorrow. On the other hand, you blink once and then the technology is here and it's too late and we didn't really pay any, you know, attention to it. And then, uh, you know, we don't have a real way of dealing with it. Yeah, and it might go in small steps, which make it difficult to, to make your decision. If, if something is, is there, if it's useful, you had those people that had a mobile phone in the beginning, but they had it always switched off only in case of emergency. So you will have people with AR glasses that only wear it when they need them. And after a while, you start wearing them more often because, yeah, oh yeah, that's great. They point you the way and they show you notifications. They help you. They indeed describe people in front of you, like grumpy people, avoid them. Um, and, and I think there there's once we are getting used to to people wearing those things um, in the streets and, and I think Apple is going to kickstart this with their device because people somehow trust Apple um, and they've <laughs> been playing the, the privacy card all the time saying, oh, yeah, we're now strong on, on privacy. But so people are going to wear AR glasses from um, Apple, but not everybody is going to wear glasses. I mean, I'm. Um, I'm wearing them, so I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm even going to upgrade my Google Glass if I have a chance, because actually that was a really nice, subtle little device. But I think the fact that you have a camera looking into the world with you, that is something we're going to see. People are going to be wearing these, 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 these wearable cameras just because you don't want to lag behind. If other people can see like digitally, then you also want to see digitally, um, or you, 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 you sort of miss something, um, and that is, I mean, this goes in, in small steps, but it, it helps to, to now think about the, the actual use cases and also to define for yourself, okay, what do I want and what do I, do I not want? So you don't have to um, make the decisions on the small steps. Yeah, to, to add on to that, I, I'm just reminded by a small story of uh, Ted Chiang. I don't know if you know his book, Exhalation. He has done like a very small story on this exact thing where people wear cameras all the time and are able to... Uh, instantly search their visual memories for um, like moments that have happened in their life and in this situation there are people who wear this and who, who don't wear this of, of course and it's it's a story it's it's like a, a small fable focused on like what what would change in the in social interactions between people like imagine if you have a I don't know a conversation and you think someone someone has said something and you can just go back instantly and like see if that's really true for example and it's it's interesting to also think about 
if you if you wear this continuously if if you are still able to even recognize people on the street like are they abstracted or are they a filter all the time yeah. like yeah and instead yeah. of <laughs> instead of looking back and searching it this is also going to be used for your proactive monitoring like it's not that only you can access the archive, but this archive is processed all the time and patterns are being recognized and the system is trying to match you with other people wearing the same thing, saying, hey, what you're doing now or what you're seeing or what you haven't seen yet, or maybe you've, you've seen less people this week compared to last week. I mean, all these data, but you have to decide, of course, if you want that, but yeah, uh, yeah. What, what will be the default settings? We, we don't know yet. Yeah, interesting. And also, who has access to all this data, of course? That's the question that is so big. Yeah, well, if you have everybody. a jailbreak device, yeah. you just use all your data on your own. You, you <laughs> only share it with companies, like, anonymously. You say, okay, here's, here's a package of data. Please uh, make sense out of it, but I'm not telling you who I am. So you're going yeah. to have these, these anonymous data brokers in between your data that you're all collecting on your own, on your own device, on your own data store, and you once in a while share a package to a big tech company. But it's not the other way around. You don't want big tech to monitor you all the time and tell you what to do. So, but that's that's quite a radical approach, and it's 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 a big effort to collect all your data. I'm doing that, by the way. It's a, it's a project called Be Your Own Robot. I'm sort of getting prepared to making this switch at one point to say, okay, buy big data. Um, I'm I'm the one now getting my own data and that's important but it's um, yeah it's a lot of work it's an interesting it's an interesting way of looking at it the only thing I wanted to ask still is if you're not worried that big tech companies will then figure out figure out a way to, to run an algorithm and still be able to recognize you on the data you've shared like is that not because like it's already happening of course but yeah yeah it will be an interesting battle yeah <laughs> sure yes. There's also another issue that I think is really interesting. Uh, it's way further off into the future, but I like it. It's actually conceived. Uh, I first saw this concept in the video called Hyper Reality by Kiichi Matsuda. Is that, did you mention him just now, Mitchell? No, I, I was talking about Ted Chiang, but oh, sorry. Uh, hyper Reality also sounds familiar. Yeah, so it's a video basically uh, of someone walking down the street and everything's augmented, right? And at some point, the goggles crash and the real reality is really boring because this the the mall that he walks through has been built around augmented reality so all the surfaces there's really nothing to look at because why you don't really need it in the headset itself it's like this cathedral and it looks really beautiful but once you know everything crashes it's just basically a gray concrete mall that doesn't need any adornments because that would be wasteful and is there a risk because you can you can get this already by getting overstimulated there might be a risk of finding reality really boring without the extra sauce on top that augmented reality can offer um and that's i think partly why for instance mindfulness is now so popular and and such a, a hot topic is because people I think recognize this, that they get overstimulated. So regular reality, for instance, going out into nature might be a little bit boring because, you know, not all your senses are, but buttons are pushed all the time. TikTok, for instance, is too much for me already. And I'm 33, which I still think is young. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think a 15 year old would probably find that very old. But, you know, you grow up in, in a certain... Um, 
mediated reality and I'm not going to say it gets worse but you know it gets it can get a lot more intense uh, when, once it's pumped straight into your eyeballs no matter where you're <laughs> looking yeah and if I if I'm if I may uh, uh, answer or maybe uh, this question um, like I have ADHD so for me it's continuously already being it's it's sometimes I compare it being like being in a world like this and um, I can only imagine if other people are exposed to a to to an environment like this like how would they react how would how would that be for them and also what I was thinking about it as well like how how is this for people that just simply cannot afford this technology like how would how would the world what would the world be like would they feel left behind or like what kind of social structure would be in place for them to to sort of catch a glimpse of this world yeah yeah you guys have kind of answered uh, some of the questions that I wanted to ask you regarding like what does responsible XR mean to you? So uh, thanks for that. <laughs> but if you want to add a little bit more, I think Sunday you had some interesting ideas um, regarding interactive tutor that you mentioned uh, in one of your mails. How do you see what responsible AR is to you? I think when you when you look at at, at um... AR in in a teaching environment, you can of course think of of like a setting of yeah or VR going to the moon with AR. You have these 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 also these situations where you're together and you're looking at this virtual appearance. And then I was thinking, yeah, in the future there 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 might as well be a virtual tutor um, being there. So it it can be very efficient, um, and you can make a lot of steps, I mean, to, to really go for efficiency. So to do this responsibly, um, it was just something that, that came to my mind that, yeah, um, it, it's good to, to balance it, to, to know that when a virtual tutor is there, there's also a, like a real life tutor looking at, at how things go. And um, if, if you have a proper like balance in the timing that the, the real tutor is there asking, okay, how did the virtual tutor do? Um, was it, um, yeah, did, did you understand it? If you only go for the technology, then for some people it's too much. So you, um, but but to balance it properly, that that is what I was uh, thinking about. Yeah, it like the, it resonates a little bit what you say, Sander, because we also at our university have a setup in our classroom in which we are able to uh, basically have this hybrid uh, level of of uh, teaching. So there's a camera, there's a, a stereo microphone setup. So for people that are at home, they don't. We kind of made sure to not have people have headphone fatigue either, because like that mono sound can be can be quite monotonous. At least that's for me. That's very fatiguing if I if I follow a class digitally. Um, um, but there's also the option to go there uh, physically, and sort of that that balance already is already evidence of people wanting it. If if there's a possibility that there's people on one end of the spectrum and one end people on the other end of the spectrum, so. It, it would make sense to have something of a of an authority or like a controlling entity that could possibly play a role and for like for students to yes I don't know like just configure their learning experience I guess because now you have the choice you can go to like the physical class and there will be a real physical teacher a real person but but let's say I mean there's now an augment the artificial intelligence is, is able to to write emails for you or if, if you would have an artificial intelligence like for example watch uh, classes for for a year maybe it could even be possible to sort of generate a teacher that is trying to mimic a real teacher just <laughs> on the future thinking yeah. but then yeah um 
of course, then you need to monitor, okay, what, what really happened? Where, where is this going? But it, it could be the way you're, you're dealing with the teacher in the future. And it will be your personal teacher. Like you will have a different teacher in the, the same class uh, compared to somebody else. It will be like the, the movie Her, you know, this, this really smart yes. OS. Yeah. But then somebody that's trying to teach you uh, things in your pace, um, in, in your style. And maybe you want a different teacher after a few weeks. <laughs> because uh, you know this one is a little bit too boring so yeah, you get you, uh, you know that's no problem turn up the, yeah. you don't yeah, have turn to up the hotness to, yes <laughs> pull the plug yeah. so, but so when you think of ar you 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 tend to think of the the things we we see now we think of the like almost as a, like a physical appearance only you know but it, it's much more it's it's about interpreting the whole environment using that data using all data that has been recorded so far using all data that has been recorded anywhere in the world in a similar situation, then bring that together into generating new things that can manifest itself in, in, in physical, virtual appearances or just audio text or characters, avatars that are not real, that are appearing in front of you, talking to you, becoming alive. It's an interesting idea. For me, um, I think what we currently are exploring. So we've made uh, roughly 15 AR and VR experiences, which are being used in education right now. We see what we always see when technology get introduced, gets introduced to the classroom. It will supplement existing education or replace part of an existing education. Because like you said, Sander, there's always, and actually Mitchell, you said it as well, there's always this, um, need for face-to-face -face interactions. Well, okay, always, maybe not always, maybe in the future we'll do without it, but uh, I find that very hard to believe because I, I think agree. that's yeah. part of our nature. It's not like augmented reality or virtual reality will replace education as we know it. I mean, we've heard that, I think, for every major technology that was introduced into the classroom and every time it turned out not to be true because people are resistant to change or because you cannot do, let's say, a whole course in VR uh, because it would sort of go past the point of where it's still useful. Uh, but on the other hand, there are certain parts which maybe are not done very well right now, but can be done a lot better maybe using a VR and AR experience. Uh, some, so I wrote down a few such as simulating certain experiences and also having the opportunity to repeat uh, that same simulation over and over in the same way instead of having minor variations if you have to do it with a real human. Um, you can also visualize things which are normally invisible or very difficult to, to show. And those kinds of uh, experience are already you know ready now. They can be made now and they can be used to supplement the shortcomings of education uh, of the current student generation. And I think in the future, it will be more integrated with things like AI, like you mentioned, Sander. So then we get maybe automatically generated content for uh, for education. But in, the, in the, at least the short term future, I think we will use it more, but we won't, won't use it exclusively or even the majority of the time. Okay, so um, I'm going to get to the futuristic part of the podcast. Uh, so I'm just going to paint you a little picture. Currently, the XR industry is dominated by large tech corporations, which we've mentioned now, with a bad track record when it comes to privacy. 
New advances in the technology means that spaces can be mapped and the biometric sensors of XR devices can be used to measure everything about the users, even their emotions. Should we expose our students to devices which can obviously gather that much information is the question. So here's a crazy idea. What if we could create an encrypted privacy bubble in which students are responsible for their own data? They decide whether to give the app or device access to this data. What do you all think? Do you think this is a feasible idea? What backing do you think uh, you would need to create such a safe zone? Or do you think it's even necessary? Who wants to go first? I like the idea. Um, and I think it's not uh, un, like it's not difficult or impossible at all. If you look at um, the way data is handled, for instance, um, in uh, the digital uh, civilian cases, like DigiDay, I don't know what the English translation is, but it's basically the digital services that the government provides. There you get to choose, for instance, how with which department of government, you know, apart from the obligatory ones, you you share your data with. And it's a matter of design. So if you want your privacy to be, or your user's privacy to be protected, you could certainly create something along these lines. Another example is LastPass. This is a password manager that I use. Uh, if I lose the password to like the master password to my database, then all my passwords are encrypted and no one can access them. So they're very safe. They're mine. I, I can, well, I can sort of, uh, share with whomever I want, but it's not like LastPass can go in and check for me what the password is. So that's another way that by design, privacy is uh, maintained. The The little downside there is that we need to teach people to handle that kind of responsibility because, you know, bad password quality or, you know, not remembering or maybe even writing down your passwords may lead to either being hacked or losing your data. But apart from that, if you design it well, you can actually do it, uh, certainly. Yeah, I I also wanted to mention, like, it's, it's, it, it's, I think, a question of authority, which is now almost um, by default, maybe, uh, due to our current, I don't know, situation with social media. It's, an, it's an, uh, a default, which it's, like, inherently maybe appointed to big data companies while it's like the authority of the of the data should probably be given to the user themselves and maybe have a cache that i don't know fills up while being used and then just literally like like uh thomas is saying to to determine later to which sort of uh, uh entities you share this with but also in an i i i i found it i took it quite literally also like literally as a safe zone, maybe within a, a virtual world, it would, it, it, it probably already exists, but at the press of a button to be able to enter a safe zone where, uh, I don't know, you feel safe, you, you don't have people around you, you just enter a space where if you feel unsafe in a certain space, either because you think you're being tracked or because other people are, are I don't know, following you around or, or maybe harassing you even, that there's a safe space to go, that, that this safe bubble also stretches this far. I think that's, 
yeah. like essential. Yeah, in VR at yeah. least you can mute someone in yeah. certain social uh, spaces, but um, they're still in your face, which I think is quite annoying, especially as a female. Quite intense. Uh, yeah. So I, I actually change my avatar when I'm in VR so that I don't get harassed if I'm in a social um, space. And what's interesting about that is you can solve it two ways. So you can solve it by, for instance, having a sort of a privacy bubble, or you can solve it the way that Facebook does it in Horizon, where they have you and every other users record all the time so they can jump <laughs> in and always sort of look over your shoulder as you are doing whatever, you know, you think you're alone, but you might not be. So they're yeah, always I... watching, basically. It's the definition of a panopticon where they're always watching or at least you don't know when they're watching. So everyone behaves because otherwise, you know, bad, like the, the, like the dad will come and get you and, and punish <laughs> you for it. Big daddy Facebook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Looking all the, over your shoulder. Yeah, it, it feels like Big Brother, but, but then even more intense and on your face. Like, but I like the idea yeah. of a privacy bubble. Yeah, that's something we yeah. can't do in real life. Sorry, Sander. There, 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 but there is the risk that it's it's going to be like a cookie wall. So I, I don't think it's a solution. I think if you offer uh, people a choice and if it's like, okay, you have to say yes, because then we can use the data and we can give you the service. You have to say yes. So it, it's going to be very tricky. You feel confident. You think, oh yeah, we have now the cookie wall. So everything is fine. But in the end, it's all the same. It's just a little hassle. What I think is that you, as an as an um, like educational institute, you need to have uh, like standard student profile. So, and that even solves uh, your problem, Monica. Um, these students are not like, uh, they are gender unspecific. I mean, there's no male, G or female. It's just your student number 400. Um, that's the data that the big tech company is getting. And the next year it's a completely different student. So it doesn't make sense to study the data and you can as well throw it away. But that, that is something you can provide if you don't want the risk of another uh, like cookie, cookie problem where actually all your data is being collected anyway. Even when you share it at a specific company, I mean, the, all this extra data that is gathered from it, um, it's, it's just very difficult to really protect yourself against this the only thing as i said earlier is just to keep all your data to yourself and even run the services on your own data um, and not hand out your data because then then you're lost but it, it helps to have a sort of default anonymous student profile or uh, you go another way uh, so instead of saying we keep it let's say because i understand your problem is that uh, if we can't share the data we can't run the service okay fair enough but then you sign away all your data anyway so you're still tracked so where is the benefit except indeed you have to go through all these dialogue boxes or whatever um so if you keep your data to yourself that can be tricky on the technological level, I think, for less experienced users, but that again is a question of implementation. The other side of the coin is a, a way of legislating it so that it's safe for users to, to use. Uh, and so you have maybe a company and you have a data agreement with them. So then there is a legal basis and not just a philosophical or an ethical basis for how the data can be used. Um, because data streams are always interesting for companies. They used to say, uh, if you're not paying for it, you're the product, but that's nonsense. It's a free revenue stream. So even if you're paying for it, they're still using your data because they can sell it unless they have to explicitly or unless they explicitly promise you 
that they don't do it. And then again, there's a legal basis for it. So I think we can get around this issue by having legislation in place or uh, agreements in place that protect students and teachers alike. And in that case, the privacy bubble gets a little bit of a different a different makeover and looks a little bit differently. It's not necessarily that you keep all your data, but you do have a really strong agreement by which your data is protected and you know how it is being used. Yeah, or, or something that I was thinking about. So for my, my version of this bubble is basically it's an external bubble. So it's not connected to the device at all. And you literally step into this bubble, which encrypts all this information that's that's being shared. It's a little bit more complicated for the hardware or software company to actually decipher what's being encrypted here. And that you have a time limit of, say, half an hour or whatever. And as soon as you leave that, that information that was shared in that specific bubble that goes into a self-destruct mode <laughs> you know i know it's very sci-fi i do think like in movie terms of course but something like that could be interesting <laughs> a hack within a hack you know <laughs> um i mean i like it because it's the equivalent <laughs> of uh, burning a letter you know the digital equivalent um I think a lot of people actually wouldn't like it that much because we are used to having things stored and accessible forever. So it really requires a change of mindset. And I think that is problematic uh, in general. That's problematic for everyone. Uh, and also, you know, we like to have things convenient uh, and, and, you know, ready when we want it to. So... It's a very different different way of communicating, unless you're a spy, maybe. Yeah, you're exactly. Always destroying everything. Yeah, but what I think is we really need a good solution. Eh? You don't want to have a moment when everybody is leaving WhatsApp, going to Telegram for three days, and then now everybody's on WhatsApp again. I mean, of course, you can always be the spy and protect your data, but that that is not something you're going to do for the rest of your life. So you need a fundamental, proper, good uh, way to solve it. And what Thomas said is. Also true, these services get better, the better they know you. So that means that, that you're building up a dependency if your data is, is going somewhere else. So to make you, you more independent, it's important to keep everything there, even the sort of enhanced and rich data and also the insights. So there's going to be services in the future that you run on your own data that give you this, this extra um, insights to keep for yourself. And these insights you can share with apps that might react on, on those. So there's going to be this API between you and the outside world. Uh, instead of the data moving back and forth, um, yeah, it, it's going to be services that knock on your API to, to do something based on your data. But it's important to do it right, because if you do it half, then you could as well not do it. Wow, a lot of cool ideas and thoughts and a lovely way to end this podcast. I hope that the listeners out there enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I know that I will be doing a lot of Googling after this discussion as I have a lot of questions. Either way, to the listeners out there, if you have any comments, questions you would like to forward to me or the guest speakers today, or if you would like to join me on one of the What If Education podcasts, please send us an email and I'll gladly get in touch with you. Once again, thank you to my guests, Thomas Jinn, Sander Feinhoff and Mitchell Bosch.